today on Ag News Daily. Farmland Finder is the first and only land real estate website to provide up-to-date access to land that's for sale, past sale transactions, and auction results. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Hashtag Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I'm Mike Pearson, joined by Hannah Pagel. Hannah, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, Mike. Fantastic. We've also got Delaney Howe with us on the podcast today. And Delaney, how are you? I can't complain. Well, you can. We're just not going to (laughs) listen. Okay, well, perfect. (laughs) We just don't care. Oh, boy. So let's see. We've got a lot of stuff continuing to happen in the world of agriculture. Hannah, why don't you kick us off? What's going on this week or today? Well, the first thing I have for you today is President Trump has picked Brett Cat. Is it Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Kavanaugh. We will go with Kavanaugh. So he has selected Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. Uh, Kavanaugh, he's 53, and he has served the past 12 years as the judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is responsible for handling cases involving the EPA and many other federal agencies. So he has many experiences in that realm. So I guess the next step is just for him to get approved by a committee. Is that correct? I think the full Senate gets to vote Uh on it. I think so, too. Is that where they, like, bring him in and, like, essentially just, like, grill him with questions about... Yes. Oh, wow. Everything. Yep. They do some grilling. They do some... Yeah. But it sounds like this guy's been pretty well vetted uh, well before this. So it should... Mm -hmm. It should probably go smoothly. I don't know. We'll see. And he is um, pretty conservative compared to Justice Kennedy. So he really has said that he's going to be on the side of rolling back regulations, including WOTUS. And uh, I think a lot of people in ag are excited for his nomination. All right. Well, that is good news. Yeah. Delaney, what do you got for us? Folks, it's Hashtag Tech Tuesday, and that is brought to us by our good friends up at Harvest Profit. On the phone with me now is Nick Horab, president of Harvest Profit. And Nick, give us an update. What are your users doing this time of year with the Harvest Profit software? Thanks, Mike. You know, we're in the midst of the growing season here. Uh, Plenty of weather issues, market issues. So this time of the year, what our users are doing is starting to quantify the numbers behind maybe some mid-season nitrogen applications or looking at some uh, fungicide applications and just trying to decide if if the economics behind a lot of those decisions. And on top of that, looking at their grain marketing positions, uh, putting some different uh, targets in place and basically just tweaking their, their revenue and their expense projections to to give them an accurate go forward full season view of their profitability because at the end of the day uh, we're firm believers that this numbers based profit focused approach to farming makes all of these hard decisions a little bit easier and can lead to some pretty big cumulative gains for a farmer you know over a five ten year time frame nick if growers out there listening want to put the harvest profit software to work on their farm and help outline their profitability where should they go to get more information they can just go to our homepage, harvestprofit.com. We have a couple different free trial calls to action where they can just hop in and take a free 14-day free trial. 
Well, that was something I was definitely looking at today, too. Um, I guess related to Kavanaugh is how he feels about the RFS and the oil versus ethanol argument. Um, Kavanaugh, it's, it's quoted that he's clearly inclined to resist expansion of administrative agency authority, but he also tends to apparently seek legal justice on a case-by-case basis. So we're not sure where he sits on that issue. However, he did write an opinion last year in favor of the ethanol industry. So still waiting to see kind of where he sits on that issue. Yeah, and I suppose we'd have to have a case involving it move all the way to the Supreme Court before we get to hear that right. thoughts on it. Absolutely. And I don't think there are any cases like that pending, are there? I mean, maybe I maybe against Pruitt might get yeah, started here soon. Now he's gone. I don't know. Maybe against the hardship waivers was maybe my first initial thought. Oh, sure. That could be. Yeah. Well, I've got some other legal news. We're kind of a legal podcast today, folks. Sorry <laughs> about that. Um, <laughs> no, this one is not American legal issues. This is down in South America. This is a case involving Monsanto and Brazil. So the a Brazilian court ordered Monsanto to deposit just about 800 million reals or about $204 million into an escrow account because they currently have a lawsuit going on between Brazilian soybean growers and Monsanto. And what they're suing over, they're saying that the patent Monsanto had that they charged royalties for was not valid in Brazil. And so they want that the the patent money, the royalties, back from Monsanto. But Monsanto says, you know, this isn't going to interfere with anything. We want to not have to you know, drop $200 million into an account. And this is going to be quite an ongoing issue. But again, it comes back to the trouble that large seed companies have had in South America when they're rolling out high-tech seeds, whether it's Brazil or Argentina. This is the second large case we've seen where the biotech industry has really struggled to assert mm-hmm. and figure out its rights down there. Yeah, I think that's kind of the concern in um, China as well. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Well, actually, that's a good segue because I do have one other piece of legal news myself. And none of us are lawyers, so this is great. We're just giving our synopsis of what we think is happening. Um, Witnesses are going to begin testifying this week in that first trial against Monsanto, claiming that Roundup Ready has caused cancer to a couple of folks in California. So there are, I think... It's a class action lawsuit, so it's involving more than 300 plaintiffs who have argued that exposure to Roundup Ready has caused them to develop non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, geez. Yeah. 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 (sighs) That's going to be interesting. It's it's weird when courts are finding scientific facts. Yeah. Well, well, what facts are they going off of on this? Just. So I think the way that I understand it is it's like a normal court case and both sides get to present their quote unquote science. And then the I don't remember if a class action lawsuit is a jury or a judge. It can be either. Okay, so I don't know what this particular is a jury decision. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, So basically the jury will listen. And the stupid thing is like none of them will probably have any sort of science background. 
None of them will be scientists. The jurors. Or mean. doctors. Yeah, but the jurors are the ones that are going to rule on a sci- literally a scientific case. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, something else. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Hmm. Right. That's California. Well, but I mean, that happens everywhere. It's not just California. Well, yeah, True. but this is California, so we get to say that mockingly. <laughs> right. Because we're we're in the Midwest, which is really the best America. <laughs> sure. You make us yeah. sound like Bring we're, it. Our, we're our Bring own it, country. Coach. You can find <laughs> us on Twitter at, at Ag News Daily or on Facebook at Ag News no, Daily. No, we want everyone to listen. We don't care where they're from. You bet, Delaney, I'm trying to drive up some interactions here oh, on the social media. Yeah, right. You know, let's get, get some, some controversy going. Yeah. Uh, I actually, we're going to keep the legal theme in play here for oh, at least no. the story. <laughs> uh, presidential pardons were being issued today. Mm-hmm. Um, two Oregon cattle ranchers, Dwight Hammond and his son Stephen, were pardoned today. And some of our listeners might recall those names. These were the ranchers who were charged and convicted of arson in a really screwy fire after the Bureau of Land Management said a fire they had started burned uh, several acres of federally uh, controlled grazing lands. And so they were thrown in jail, and I believe their sentence was four years And that was what prompted the Bundys and several other groups to occupy the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in Oregon. Do you guys remember that? Not really. No. It was over the winter. uh, This group of protesters moved on to this National Wildlife Refuge. They were armed and they occupied it for 41 days. And uh, then eventually they dispersed. But basically the reason for all of that were these arson charges, and President Trump today pardoned those two ranchers and has uh, let them out of jail, which is good news. Did they mean hmm. to, like, start the fire in the federal part, or no. was it, like, so an accident? No, so they started the fire on their ground, and it was like the wind changed direction, and it didn't burn down anything but some overgrown grass on the, the – it wasn't on the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. I forget what it was right next to their ranch. But it burned, I want to say, 20 or 30 acres before they were able to get it contained. But the BLM kind of threw the book at them, I guess, to make an example out of them. And the judge bought the BLM side and convicted them and I think sentenced them to the maximum amount of time in jail. So this was, I think, a a good pardon on President Trump's Mm -hmm. part. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. Hannah, do you have any legal news or can we move to something else? (laughs) I don't have anything legal news, so I'm going to get us off of that topic. But I'm going to go to uh, parasite-infested vegetable trays have made many Midwesterners very sick. I saw that. And so the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has confirmed that 212 people have so far been sickened by the Cyclospora parasite after eating vegetable trays containing broccoli, cauliflower, celery sticks, carrots, you know, you name it. And so, Mm -hmm. and they've affected, well, they say that the 212 people that ate the vegetables, they bought packaged products made by Del Monte Produce and in the stores from Iowa, Minnesota to Wisconsin. So kind of hitting that Midwest range, but the FDA has not yet identified exactly which vegetables are the culprit, but I, I will say I, after reading this article, I'm fairly certain this is what my brother has because 
he has been sick for the last week and a half, and over the 4th of July, he came down with many flu-like symptoms, and they still hadn't, like, gotten improved, and then my mom finally took my brother to the doctor yesterday, and they confirmed that he was basically a textbook case of this cyclospora parasite, so I'm honestly thinking he ate some vegetable trays. Or you know what the answer is then, right? Just don't I know what the answer is. Yes. <laughs> Stay away from vegetables. Delaney, I think you're exactly right. Just yeah, eat steak. Right, exactly. Or, or burgers pork. or pork or yeah. maybe chicken eat. sometimes. Beef. Yeah, absolutely. Meat. Eat. As long as you're eating something that once had a family, you're in good shape. <laughs> well, you get sick from that too if you don't cook it right, but yeah. Well, but that's on you. Well, yeah, that's true. You know, that's not on the producer. Yeah, no, right. Right. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, don't go to Chipotle. You know, yeah, no. Because then you're going to have explosive diarrhea. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, thanks for bringing that to our attention. That is definitely some big ag news and a story we'll have to follow because I wonder where those vegetables originated as the FDA tracks down the details. Yeah, we'll definitely yeah. have to keep our eye on that one. But since we're on the topic of food, I do want to just briefly touch on our conversation that we had yesterday about ice cream and hot dogs. So I said yesterday in the podcast that I would do a poll on Twitter, and we have some results back of people who would who would try mixing their hot dogs with their ice cream, and 5% said, heck yes, I would try it. So, <laughs> How many people said never? Well, 14% said maybe, but... 81% said we're crazy for even asking. So the majority of it is, <laughs> nope, not going to try. Um, our Canadian friend Matthew Pot, though, did say he seemed like he was eager to try it, oh. as you predicted, Mike, with yeah. Canadians liking ketchup. Yep, yep. I know my Canadians. They are good people up north there, even if their taste in food is <laughs> um, um, different. He said actually, their, their poutine. His specific quote was, Sounds like a Canadian sandwich to me. And then he tagged our friend Ted Seifert because Ted always has uh, Twitter debates about what is a sandwich, is a hot dog a sandwich, etc. Yes. Well, good. All right. And, you know, 5%, you only need a niche market yeah. to make a profitable product. <laughs> Maybe if we can sell hot dog flavored ice cream to that 5%, well, we can all hey, retire and quit we doing can this podcast. <laughs> Let's try selling it at World Pork Expo next year. That seems like the ideal rollout place. There we go. Delaney Howell, that's genius. I know. I'm perfect. sometimes. Folks, find our booth next year at the World Pork Expo, and we'll give you some hot dog flavored ice cream or, or hot dog chunks in ice cream. Ew. Ew. Gross. A little, little meaty in your ice cream. Well, let's see. Delaney, do you have any other news for us? Um, I have two quick pieces of news. First of all, I just want to say our intern, Hannah Pagel, finally got Twitter. I did. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Where can we find Hannah on Twitter? Um, that's actually a good question. I, I don't really know my handle. Um, Hannah, <laughs> it is Hannah. Wait, I'm looking. I think it's just Hannah underscore Pagel, isn't it? I think you're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm new to the Twitter world. Actually, not very new, but I thought it would be a good outlet to, you know, find some more news stories. And, you know, I kind of liked, you know, doing the little Twitter poll thingy. So I... I'm going to get into the world of Twitter now. So, yeah. Mike's an active Twitterer. -er. I'm not yeah. so good at it, but. I, I love Twitter. You know, I try. 
That is okay, true. so that's one of my features. A way to have friends <laughs> without having to actually talk to people in person. It's a win-win. Yeah, that's kind of your style too, isn't it, Mike? Absolutely. That's why I love Twitter, and it's short. It's 280 characters right. max, so you just right. get your point out there and you know, go back to what you were doing. Yeah, that's fair. Um, quintessential dude social media, I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's definitely a male-dominated platform, I would say. Yeah. Because you can't write your feelings and stuff on there like women like to do. Right, exactly. Just the important yeah. stuff. Right. <laughs> okay, so uh, that was one piece of news. The other piece of news I had, not so fun, but uh, China, as they're working here on tariffs against the United States, they might be cutting back on U.S. beef purchases, which, as we heard last week from Monty and John Block, former agriculture secretary, that is a huge concern for producers here in the U.S., and China is officially opening their doors to allowing French and British beef imports into the country. So now France and the UK will join just a couple of countries that can export beef to China, which includes the US, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. Mm, that's too bad. Yeah. That could have been a, an excellent market and, yeah. and might be, again, we do have, I think, some of the best quality beef in the I world with the corn finish we can put on it. I have just one final piece of news, and this is, again, as we kind of move pivot towards the markets. Again, the largest traded commodity in the world continues to be crude oil, and that market has been roiled recently as we put sanctions on Iran. And basically, all of our allies are being told, do not buy Iranian crude oil. We want to starve that regime of dollars. However, the uh, new Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, said earlier today that the U.S. will consider requests from countries to be allowed to buy Iranian oil. He said uh, there will be a handful of countries that will come to the United States and ask for relief from this embargo. And he says, we'll consider it to the Sky News Arabia was who he was talking to about that. So uh, that might bring crude prices down a little bit if there are actually some countries able to buy Iranian crude oil. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Do we have any other news before we get to the markets? I have none. So, Mike, why don't you get us over into the markets? What's going on there? Well, let's take a look. And, folks, our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Get in touch with the excellent market strategist there by calling 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got mixed trade today in the grain markets. In the corn pit, the July contract was down six cents at 339 and three quarters. December down six and a quarter, closed at 360 and three quarters. Mixed trade in soybeans, July up. Half a cent at eight fifty two and a quarter. November down a half. Finished the day at eight seventy one and a half. Looking at Chicago wheat, oof, big sell off again today. In the July contract down eighteen and a quarter cents to finish at four eighty nine and a half. September down sixteen cents to close the day at four ninety two even. Looking over at livestock weakness in live cattle. The August contract down sixty seven and a half cents, closed one oh five forty five. The October down eighty at one oh seven eighty two fifty. Strength in in feeder cattle, I should say. The August contract was up forty cents at one fifty one eighty five. The September up twenty seven and a half to finish at one fifty two oh five. And in lean hogs, the July contract down seventy two and a half cents at seventy nine fifty. The August down the daily trading limit of three dollars 
at 69.7750. And looking at the dairy market in class three milk, the July contract up two cents at 14.18, the August up eight to close the day at 14.60. Before we talk to Stephen Broxius from farmlandfinder.com for our hashtag Tech Tuesday, let's hear a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. This week we're talking to our friend Phil Long, the agronomy specialist up at Latham High Tech Seeds. And Phil, we're midway through the summer. Japanese beetles are making their presence felt. Bring us up to speed. What should growers be looking for to determine if the Japanese beetles are, are really a threat this time of year? Sure, Mike. That uh, The skeletonized leaves and the feeding on, on soybean leaves tends to scare a lot of guys. And uh, you know, what they need to be looking for is uh, the percentage of defoliation. We're at that time when soybeans should be flowering. Um, they should be at that R1 growth stage. So R1 to R5, while they're in that seed fill and that early flowering time period, the damage is, is only 15%. That's the threshold you're looking for. Um, but, but remember, a lot of times people tend to overestimate that. Make sure you look at the new growth on the top of the plant, you know, and see if they're really diving into that. Or if it's just on the old growth, that's really important. After you get past that, once you get to about the R6 or the green bean stage or that amame stage, 25% is kind of what you're looking for there to, to, to make the choice on, a, on an insecticide spray. So just make sure they look at the leaves hard and, and, and really do some comparisons on percentages before you get too excited. Folks, Latham High Tech Seeds has incredible agronomic insight. They've got incredible seed products for your field. If you want to get involved with a great company, call 1-877-GO-LATHAM or visit the website at LathamSeeds.com. It is Hashtag Tech Tuesday here on the podcast, and joining us now is a man who I have had the privilege of interacting with several different places. His name is Stephen Broxius. He is the founder and CEO of Farmland Finder. Stephen, thanks for taking the time to join us. Hey, my pleasure, Mike. Now, give us the 411. What is Farmland Finder? What are you building up there? <laughs> Yeah, well, Farmland Finder is the first and only land real estate website to provide up-to-date access to land that's for sale, past sale transactions, and auction results all on one website. So if someone's looking for any information about land sale transactions or land that's for sale, they can find it on Farmland Finder with just a few clicks. And Stephen... Maybe explain a little bit on how did you get this idea for this business? You know, what made you see that this was something that was much needed for a platform in the agriculture industry? Well, Hannah, I grew up on a fifth-generation family dairy farm up in Osceola County, northwest Iowa, God's country. And uh, I remember growing up going to land auctions and land sales with my dad and my uncle and my grandpa. And I was at an auction a few years ago um, that was selling for over $16,000 an acre. And as I sat in the, the room and the auctioneer was uh, calling the bid, um, I looked around and started to see who was in the room, and I started asking questions. And I learned really quickly that um, a lot of folks that were in the room didn't have a lot of data or a lot of information about the property that was actually for sale. All we had access to was the sale bill that the broker had put together that had a soil map on it and a couple of pictures about that property. Um, but when, you know, it's a $2 million asset, 
assets um, trading hands, there's a lot of data that you want to be able to pull, like production um, history records and what had been grown on that property and how that compares to other properties in the same area or other properties that are like it. And so I started talking with landowners at that auction. And after that day, I talked with auctioneers. I talked with brokers, appraisers, ag lenders, um, farm service agency, loan officers. And I found out that there's a issue when it comes to getting access to up-to-date, reliable information about those sales. I mean, if you're looking for uh, land values and what properties have actually sold for, uh, today you'd have to talk to your local broker, your auctioneer, uh, or go dig through county courthouse records. And so uh, what we do is we take all of those data points, we talk to those brokers, we get the data from the county assessors, we track auctions, we pull in satellite imagery and uh, precision ag technology, put it all together so that you've got essentially Google Maps with a layer on top of it of land that's for sale and land that's sold. So we do that legwork and really streamline that process um, to make it really easy to find that information that folks uh, spend a lot of time looking for. Now, Stephen, I, I just pulled up farmlandfinder.com. I'm looking at the map. I, I pulled up one of your auctions that's coming up. There's a, a sale listed for 525 acres down in Henry County. So I clicked on it to get mm -hmm. some information. Now, it looks like what you've built here is a... From your perspective, the, the web design perspective, this is a fairly complicated tool with soil maps, satellite imagery, crop history. You've got the map down at the bottom showing other properties that have sold in the county. How do you get all that? You mentioned you talked to these brokers, but we've got 99 counties in Iowa. How are you pulling all of this information together? Uh, well, great question. We've uh, built a network of partnerships with brokers firms across the entire state and actually we're currently expanding throughout the Midwest and so we're building those partnerships. Um, but what's great about today's day and age, we, we leverage a lot of precision ag technologies that farmers have been using in the field for years, um, using GPS and satellite imagery and field boundaries and soil maps. And so we're using a lot of those technologies and we actually pair those with technologies very similar to what Google uses. So for example, when you enter a search on Google, on the back end, Google has gone through and searched every website on the internet so that when you make your search, it pulls up a list of only the websites that you're looking for. Well, we have a very similar um, automated technology that goes and scrapes data and information from only broker firms' websites where they have active listings. So when you search for land that's for sale, it automatically pulls that in and makes it really easy for you to find that information that you're seeing on the screen right in front of you. And so it is a big process, um, but we've been able to um, use and leverage automation technology to do parts of it. We've built partnerships with folks, and we've got a really powerhouse team in-house to make sure that all the information is accurate. So what you see on the website is true. Um, it's been verified by our in-house professionals, and you're not going to be misled. So, Stephen, for our listeners, why don't you just walk us through, if they go online to your website, where can they start or what can they do if they're interested in a piece of land that's for sale? First thing, go to farmlandfinder.com, and on the home page, if you scroll down, you'll actually see different columns. 
in rows where it says upcoming auctions, here's the active listings. There's a section of folks looking just for pasture land, a section for folks looking just for timber land. So you can go to those sections and click on a property image, and it'll pull up all of the details that we've been describing. Um, the most popular place for folks to go is on the top bar. There's a, a tab that says land for sale. And when you click on that, it brings you to the property view, and you see the entire Midwest, and you can see properties that are for sale on the map. And you simply click on the ones that you're interested in, and it pulls up the details you're looking for. So 90% of the people using farmlandfinder.com use it to find land that's for sale and connect with a local professional. Like I said, we built up that our, um, our base and our network so that you could go to the website, find a property, connect with a broker, a buyer's agent that can help you understand more details about the local market, help you understand how this property might be worth, what it might be worth, and actually help you make an offer um, right there from your computer in minutes. And so uh, that's how most folks use the website. And then we also offer professional tools for um, brokers and appraisers, um, landowner investors, and those folks who uh, want to dig into the market a little bit more than just finding lanes that's for sale. It is really fun to play with. If, if you're like me and you just like looking at stuff you can't afford, it's a really fun tool. <laughs> and if you're actually looking at farm ground there, I, I imagine it could be really beneficial. Stephen, give us the history. You dreamed up this idea. You were at that farm sale. Of course, it's taken you a couple years. Tell us the, the story behind Farmland Finder. Well, like I said, growing up on the farm, my family, um, we grew up on dairy farm. And when I was a kid, I remember we were milking 80 cows. Today we're milking about 600 cows. So there's been a lot of growth throughout, throughout our lifetime. And so we've bought more land. We've built relationships with landowners um, so that we could rent more land. But I'll tell you, my grandpa and my dad have lost a lot of sleep and turned a few hairs gray um, thinking about how are we going to get more feed for our cows. There's just not enough land that we can farm in the area. And so that, that problem, that issue is always kind of in the back of my mind. And I was going through one of Kevin Kimley's courses at Iowa State University called Ag Entrepreneurship. And in that class, he challenges you to identify a list of problems that you've experienced in your life. So I've made a huge list of problems I experienced um, growing up on the dairy farm. And this is one that came to the top. So the second thing he challenged us to do is start talking to people about this problem. And that's where I went to the auctions. I talked with auctioneers and brokers and ag lenders and other landowners and farmers like my family, professionals and investors. Um, I mean, dozens and dozens of folks meeting them out at their farm places and in their areas of businesses and um, counties throughout the state. And from there, I was really able to learn where the real issue is, which is access to information. Because once you have access to that information, then you can use that to buy the land as a land investment. You can use the information to sell your property and know what it's for. And so over time, we've been able to really provide connections to information. And then second is providing connections to people so that not only do you know the, the data and the insights, you can do, do something with it. So I went to Iowa State, um, started working on the business. By my senior year in college, we had our version 1.0 of the software out. Um, started growing our customer base, and from there, um, it really started taking off. And so I've been blessed here in Iowa. There's a lot of um, young business and entrepreneurial programs up at Iowa State, the Ag Startup Engine, um, the Ag Startup um, Initiative, 
There's programs like Size Starters, all different networks of people. Some are in ag, some are in business, some are in technology that I've been able to tap into and learn from. I even went through uh, to the other side of the state. The University of Iowa has a program called Venture School for beginning businesses. And uh, even though I'm a cyclone at heart, the Hawkeyes had something to offer there <laughs> on the business front. Um, took part in different Papa John programs throughout the state. And um, right now we're headquartered out of Des Moines. We have have a staff of six people, and so we're a lean and mean team, but um, from something that I started myself tracking auctions and sales in an Excel spreadsheet to today where we've got a web application where folks can very dynamically see all the information about these properties, uh, we've come a long ways, and we've got a long ways to go. Now, Stephen, looking into the future, what are some new advancements our listeners can expect to see with your product or what are you going to look into next or build off of to expand your product? Well, when we zoom out, imagine, you know, you're in a, a crop duster and you're looking down at, at the earth. You know, today we're, we're tackling the issue of getting access to information. And so today we offer that in all 99 counties across the state of Iowa um, in late August early September, we'll actually have full coverage across 12 states throughout the entire Midwest, really focusing on the Corn Belt there. And so if you're looking for land that's for sale, looking for insights on the market, looking to get into the land investment space, um, or if you're a professional that works with land, uh, you can come to Farmland Finder and find exactly what you're looking for. So that's step number one is access to information. Step number two is connections to the right people. And so we've been building out our network and testing in Iowa what it looks like to provide, like I explained before, uh, connections to local professionals. And so we've added that functionality and that feature for Iowa, and we'll be rolling that out throughout the Midwest as well. So not only can you get information, but you can connect with the right person. And then the third chunk, and this is really high level, is we're looking at how do we streamline that sale transaction process and make it as simple as possible. So if someone wants to do a private um, sale offline, how do we help them do that? If someone wants to connect with a professional and uh, do an auction, how do we help them do that? If there's a landowner investor who wants to buy a property that might be a really good investment deal and have a good return, um, how do we help them do that? And so we're looking into two technologies like machine learning um, that can help us pull in all the data and predict um, which properties might fit someone's specific use case. We're looking at blockchain technologies, uh, which really help um, streamline the transaction process and make it really simple. And I think when we look 15 or 20 years down the road, uh, someone will be able to buy or sell their property instantly and anonymously uh, with, with anyone throughout the state or throughout the country. Um, so we're really moving towards a frictionless and a seamless process for that buying and selling process of land um, so that it helps out farmers and landowners and uh, professionals in the space. Stephen, now I've got to ask you this. Every time we have a company on, we've got to figure out how do you get paid. As I log on to your website as just, you know, Joe Farmer looking at properties, am I going to have to put in my credit card and, and cough up <laughs> some dough? Uh, great question. What I've learned, and I grew up on a farming family, and everyone's trying to get a buck from the farmers, and sometimes they don't have the bucks to share. <laughs> so uh, for, for us as a business, um, we make money in a very um, stereotypical way for online businesses. Um, we sell monthly subscriptions for access to our professional tools. So for farmers and landowners looking to buy land, 
Um, like I said, 99% of them, we don't ever expect to pay a dime. Uh, they'll be able to access properties that are for sale um, absolutely for free and find information out about those properties. Our professional tools, uh, we've got a whole tool set. I'll just list off a few of the things that professionals get. Uh, we have an auction calendar so they can see past auctions and upcoming auctions. We've got a list view of active listings that they can sort by cap rate, so return on investment can sort by county and date. Uh, we've got past sale transactions that they can search what properties have sold and zoom down on the map and get exactly the comparable sales they're looking for. We've got auction results and county assessor records, um, landowner search tools. So we've got a whole set of professional tools that takes all the data that and information that we've been talking about and really tailors it to the ag lender, to the appraiser, to the landowner investor, um, you know, to the farmland broker. And so that's how we make money is we sell monthly subscriptions for those professional tools. And we also generate revenue um, by selling advertising to that network of local professionals so that when you're visiting the website for free and you're a farmer and you want to connect with a buyer's agent or connect with a broker, um, those folks are paying to be represented on the website as that local professional, and uh, you can get connected with them right there. So that's our revenue model, um, which helps keep us as a business um, afloat. And what we really have going for us as a technology business is the scale side of things, especially now we're across Iowa, we'll be across the Midwest here in a few months. And um, to run the technology business, um, when we're able to do it at such a broad scale, then we're able to... Um, generate revenue and provide a really compelling um, website and service for folks that before the internet and before um, the ability to have a widespread business just might not have been possible. Absolutely. Trying new things. Well, Stephen Brockshus with farmlandfinder.com. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Hannah. Appreciate being on the show. And again, that was Stephen Branches with Farmland Finder. And it's always interesting to hear more about these new technologies. And this seems like a great one that just kind of pools together a whole bunch of different resources to help people learn more about land appraisals and everything. So what do you guys think? I think it's a lot of fun. It's just a great site to hop on and, and take a look around. If you're curious about what land values are any place in the in the state, and soon, as Steve had mentioned, the Midwest, mm. pop on there, farmlandfinder.com, and check it out. Delaney, where can folks go if they want to find out more about Ag News Daily? Absolutely. We've got tons of great resources for you. You can find us, of course, on Facebook and on Twitter. We're always promoting, tweeting, polling, doing fun stuff there, sharing news. And uh, you can always find us on the web by heading to agnewsdaily.com. With that, guys, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.